0: Good morning. My name is Carl, and I am definitely an alcoholic, <laughs> and a gratefully recovering one at that. Uh, thank you, John. I I think thank you for <laughs> for inviting me to speak. Uh, my understanding of when one asked to tell our stories is is to share what it was like, what happened, and then what it's like now, and so. Um, I think my perspective, uh, I've had a chance, and I apologize if some of you have heard my story before. I, I don't remember what I said, so it probably will be completely different. Uh, but the 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 idea is over, I was just talking to John before, is I, I know the first few times that I had a chance to tell my story, it was as usual about me because I was worried about what I would say, about what other people would think, And you know that, as like many things, that I learn over time, that that's not really what this should be about. It it's not about me. It hopefully, and I I prayed for this this morning is that I say something so that someone hears something that helps them stay sober, and that's really. Uh, John asked me if I was nervous, and you know part of my profession I speak to a lot i 'm not very good at it, but i they pay me to do it anyway so uh, <laughs> <laughs> stupid people <laughs> I convince them too uh, no that <laughs> but so I do that, but uh it that 's not that doesn 't make me nervous but this this does because you know it 's you know taking a sword and spilling my guts and and uh so hopefully you get something out of this my my oldest daughter, or my, my youngest daughter, said that she, hey, you know what, I, I told her what I was doing today, and she comes rolling in from somewhere with her friends and says, oh, that sounds great, I've never really he- he- heard you tell your story, Dad, can uh, I'll, I'll come listen, and uh, she said, well, what time is it, mm-hmm. and I said, nine, <laughs> and she said, can you just record it, <laughs> 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 and, and I'll listen later, <laughs>
1: Oh my God!
0: Don't I have? Yeah, I live with five, well, four, and two are at college, but they both came back last night. So I live with a bunch of teenagers, and I used to have hair. Right? So, it's a blessing. I keep saying that. Um, so anyway, so what it was like? I, uh, I, I was. I grew up in Maine. Uh, I had at the time, uh, highly deficient parents because they didn't give me what I wanted when I wanted it. Uh, it it's, you know, in hindsight, th- they, were, they were fantastic. It, it, there's a lot of years that I spent uh, blaming or coming up with all of the, the things that were my parents' fault. It, it's something that I think is com- a common theme for many of us is, is there's always something or someone that's been wronging us. Or is wronging us so that I have something that I can point at or point to or eventually later in my drinking career that I can hang my hat on to justify the need to go out and escape. And so there had to have been something wrong with my parents. And, and the bottom line is it never occurred to me for far too many years that it's actually there was something wrong with me. And um, I think my first addiction was approval. And that probably saved my life, or at least uh, I think it did, because it, it, it was more important to me to get accolades and approval from my parents growing up than anything else. And so <laughs> I, you know, drinking and, and those pot smoking, you know, those bad people <laughs> – sorry, uh, <laughs> that's not what I believed later. But the, uh, those people were bad, and, and, so, and my parents said that that's bad for you, so I desperately wanted their approval – because that's how I was able to feel good, and you know, I there was something missing from day one, and some folks can come to this disease, and I think some folks come right out of the gates with it, and I'm pretty sure I was the latter, and so I, I grew up, not knowing what was wrong, but something was wrong. There, there was a hole, and so I started by filling it with, with a, your approval, a absolute insecure. A uh, pleaser, and, and so that's the only way I could derive any sense of self worth, and so I immediately out of the gate didn't know how to have relationships. To me, the, you were something that I could get that I thought I needed, and that's that's all I thought about the relationships and how what I had. So later in life, that it, it became more uh, exploitative it, because the relationships that I had were you weren't a person and i didn 't give a rat's butt about whether I had a relationship with you. you were an asset, and you had a value, so either you knew somebody uh, or you had something that I wanted and valued and so that was why I would continue to present myself as a person you know that I hoped you saw as interesting. I remember climbing the corporate ladder and and i it 's kind of sad, but I would walk into a, a corporate event and I would look around. And, and you know, just shamelessly self-promoting, which corporate America rewards. But the uh, <laughs> so it seemed to work for a while. Uh, but the uh, I would look in the room and I'd figure out, well, where are the where are the people that I report to, and where's their boss? And then I would accidentally be standing behind them in line. I would systematically work the room to you know, to what I thought I needed out of those relationships so that I could be perceived in a certain way and then whether... And how well that went was how well the, that that evening was to me. I mean, it, it was that exploitative and it's, it's kind of sad. So, um, I never really... Uh, through high school, I, I was a, kind of a brainiac I, uh, and a nerd and I was pretty awkward. But, uh you know, it seemed... Did fairly well in sports and just sort of overachieving and all that type of stuff. I'm a yes person and a joiner and all those those crazy things. But uh, my first real experience with with drugs and alcohol were uh, when I got to college. Because uh, uh, college for me was, I didn't have, I could get away with, and at that point it seemed okay because of the stories that my dad told and that kind of thing, that at college could, it could was okay to have to kind of do that type of thing, certainly drinking, and so uh, I had permission, or at least felt like I had permission to drink, and uh, so I don't don't really like remember the first drink and the bubbles and the the burning down my throat and like making my toes curl. I, that wasn't really my experience. Um, it uh, you know, I think there, we kind of all have sort of things that make us click and. I would assert that some of the IV medications that I received in the hospital made made me feel that way, but fundamentally, alcohol is my problem. It has always been there. Is what uh, just about killed me, and will kill me if if I don't if I don't uh, aggressively pursue this program. And I know that in my heart, and I know that's that's a fact. So drugs are part of my story, but they're they're part of my disease, but they're not the they're not the root cause. And I know that in my heart. It. 100 proof vodka straight from the trunk on a Saturday afternoon in, in August. You know, just warmed perfectly, just like sake. Just oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! <laughs>
1: right, right
0: after breakfast. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, I I, I, I feel, yeah. <laughs> I feel, I feel eminently qualified unfortunately, but so I, um, so drinking drinking for me uh, did allow me to be a lot less awkward and and a lot of at least when I came in here, my family and everybody else around me, including my my boss and others, told me that alcohol was my problem and it's taken me a while, to, and I heard a speaker say this once, and I just like he has that backwards he said, and alcohol is my solution i'm like well he must he got that mixed up, but then he went on to say that it worked for me for a very long time, and it what it did is you know it was really my first relationship that I had because alcohol was something that that filled that hole and so uh, I was taller and I danced better, and all that you know I told better jokes and all of those things and i I periodically go out with people that drink, and I know none of that 's true <laughs> they 're not taller and they suck at dancing it 's just that they think it 's a disease of perception and uh <laughs> so i there 's nothing worse i think it's it's it 's really good training teaching for me to to go and hang out with people that drink because we're just so obnoxious. Yeah. Even, it just it's awful if you're sober and you're with people that are half in the bag. It, it's not really fun. So <laughs> not at all. But um, so I did. A, I was still on the achievement trail, but in college I learned immediately how to become a functional alcoholic, and that basically meant that I knew what I had to do uh, and what I thought I needed to do, which was, was I, I was going to be a career guy and I was going to go. St- you know, capture the world and all that crap, and so i I was going to go to business school, and so I was a straight A student in college and got scholarships to to go to business school and all those things but but uh but I had a companion, and it was alcohol, and I had a couple of occasions where i uh you know I, I almost died of alcohol poisoning, uh, and I was drinking again within a week. I had no idea. Uh, I mean, I drank so much that uh, if there was not an EMT that I, as my roommate, I don't think I would have lived through it. And, you know, and then the the dread afterwards, the I'll never drink again, uh, that anxiety and the knot in my stomach. uh, And within three days, well, just a little, it's not going to be a problem. And in college, you can, you know, what a great place to drink. Because you can be, you can hide as an alcoholic for a very long time in college. And I did that in college and in business school because I, I literally started a fraternity chapter in business school. So, because there weren't, you know, the grad students were serious. And I, I needed an access. So, it was all undergrad starting the fraternity. So, I had my little party path. And so, I could act and drink excessively and get away with it. And so... So all through through college and and business school and later in life, I formed a relationship with alcohol where I would basically do what I had to do and then drink, usually at at night. So I would I would go to the uh, go to the cafeteria, I would go to the library for for three or four hours straight, and when I got my work done, my reward was I could go out and drink, and I would. I'd fill a bottle up with Bacardi 151. It was a large campus. And I would drink myself to blackout, and I'd wake up God knows where. And and that's what I wanted. And it was fun. It was a party. That's, you know, the party boy. So, um, God, some of the places I woke up. (laughs) 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 So, um, you know, shifting gears, I've, I did well in, in school and graduate school because that pattern worked for me. Alcohol worked for me for a long time. It was my solution. It helped fill a void that nothing else could. And so uh, so I was a functional alcoholic for uh, for almost 30 years. And, um, and so it was really hard for me to accept that that was my problem when the time came. And so... During, uh, during the early part of my career, I got married and had, had two, two daughters, and, and then it was career, and I became a workaholic, and again, an approval but there would be probably every four to six weeks on a weekend, I would have a blowout, and it'd be the, the same old deal, no, I'll never drink again, and, uh, and then a couple weeks later, off we go. But so, kind of fast forward. So that's kind of what it was like until the tail end, and and for most of us, it's the what happened part. Is uh, you know, it's it at least for me, it, it's when it stopped working, when my longtime companion became my enemy, and and it really basically netted out to it wasn't working anymore. I couldn't. Uh, I had to drink more. To get where I thought I needed to be, and it was became less predictable. For the longest time, I could have two or three drinks every night, and more on the weekends, and maybe occasionally be hung over the next day on the weekends, and and, and kind of go wake up where I thought I sh- belonged in, in my bed and and ready to work the next day. But uh, after a while, that stopped, That wasn't the case. I needed more to to kind of get. To escape it was always to drink for relief that that sense of, of goodwill for, for the longest time, and I'm kind of a runner and a geography changer, I, I went everywhere. I mean, even in high school, I'm like, exchange student, sign me up. So, you know, South America, maybe I'll feel better over there. And, you know, before I went to business school, Alaska, well, I'll spend a summer up there. And I'm out in the Aleutian chain, and I'm walking as far as I possibly can from the dock. And there's no power lines as far away from civilization as you can get. And I couldn't find it because I brought it with me. And I didn't, so I just as a complete runner, searcher, you know, all these crazy, jumping out of airplanes and cliff diving and anything that I could do to try and find this feeling that I I just didn't have. Wasn't going to, I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know what my problem was. Didn't really have any alcoholism in my family. They were all normies. And so I, I didn't have a clue. An alcoholic to me was somebody that didn't have a job, that couldn't support themselves, and that they were the classic, under a bridge, you know, track marks in their vein, whatever it was, that was the profile. And so for a very long time, especially at the tail end, I would hold that out as the reason why I wasn't one. And I've learned that if you call uh, Helen, central office, uh, she's been there, and she probably still will be for a long time. She's been there at least 30 years. Helen will tell you, if you, know, if you think you're having trouble with drinking... I will tell you that it, it has no, doesn't matter the way you drank, if you, the way that you mix things up. You, you could be an alcoholic by just drinking wine, or you could be the daily, hourly kind of drinker that I became. And it's, so I'm going to switch away from my, my war story very quickly because that, that doesn't matter. It's how it made me feel. The alcoholic, in the doctor's opinion, drinks primarily, or, or I don't know exactly the quote, but drinks, drinks fundamentally for the effect. And, and that's what I drank for, was that feeling of relief. And so if, it's, if that's what alcohol does for me, then then the, I, I may have a problem. And the rest of the pieces, excuse me, I'm 52 in the big book, it talks about, well had problems with relationships, uh, check, um, (laughs) having trouble at work, yep, check, (laughs) you know, you just kind of go down the list and it's haunting about how, how clearly you can diagnose this disease (laughs) when it's, when it's time. And in the same sentence, how clearly we are the last person to admit it. And so, towards the tail end, uh, I also had, I have some medical conditions and so I, I, Added drugs to the mix, and, and you know prescription drugs in particular. And, and so I was heavily in opiates, and, and I could convince a doctor of anything. To the point where I would look at, I looked up cluster migraines because I was taking opiates, but then I, I wanted to take more, and I was getting these bad headaches in the morning, which is part of the the mix: with <laughs> alcohol, <laughs> marijuana, opiates. <laughs> you wake up with a headache. Well, I better go see a doctor. Something's wrong with me. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, what I wanted from the doctor was more opiates. And so he gave them to me. And, and so I could just convince doctors and, and was quite successful at feeding my addiction. And to me, it was just it was an accelerator. That's all it was. And it, and it just increased the unpredictability of this disease for me. So the outcome was getting worse and worse. And, I, I, quite frankly, I'm grateful. I, I can't, today, I am so grateful that it sped it up. Because one, and I've, I've gone through the steps several times, but so I don't have regret so much. But if there's sort of one nagging thing is that I wished I'd gotten sober sooner. Because the life that I have today uh, is so much better. And so that that's kind of a wistful thing to have to deal with. But, you know, it's not my call. I also know that I, I'm where I am. I'm exactly when I'm supposed to be, and, and that's that. But um, I didn't... I didn't come to this disease very readily. We're, uh, we come here on circumstances, not on virtue. And uh, I was definitely that. I, I didn't believe I had a problem. I knew I drank a lot, but I could quit any time I wanted to. I just didn't want to yet. That's what I remember swearing up and down and yelling at my wife that that was the case. And uh, when it finally caught up with me and I realized, oh, shit. Oh shoot! <laughs> Sorry, uh, I better. I I think I have a drinking problem. I better stop. I couldn't. I thought I could, and that was terrifying. And then when it stopped working, uh, then then it, it really is living hell. There's no. I think all of us, or any of us that have been there, it, there's no other description for for a low bottom alcoholic. It is just horrid. And uh, losing my wife and family, they they basically said, get better or else. And I remember promising with all my heart, with tears in my eyes, and meaning it, absolutely believing it, with complete conviction, I won't drink anymore. I promise. Because I was destroying my life. I knew it. And I was drinking within hours. And you know, the the big book talks about pounding your fist on the bar. How did this happen again? That's the, the... confounding part of this disease especially if you don't believe you have it and the disease is designed to convince you that you don't and I was definitely a candidate for that and so uh, going down in a a great big ball of flame. so my first iteration was my wife uh, walking out and my boss telling me I had a problem and at the time I was in a highly responsible position and I was blacking out on conference calls I mean, it's running an $80 million division, I'm just like, you know what, just get in here asking your directors the next day, what did I say? Uh, you know, that, that's not a good way to run an organization, and I don't know, maybe you guys did, but it didn't work for me for very long. So, um, so I took my boss and my wife to say I had a problem, and the first time I came in to rehab was to hide i 'm like, all right, okay, I got a problem you 're right, but basically, I was escaping again, and that 's what I did is I came in to uh Ridgeview uh great insurance and all those things, and I played softball for a summer, and i' got you know could quote the big book and go through the steps and yeah i I got this I got this it 's all good and uh had a wonderful summer, had a good time, and uh we won quite a few games that year softball team uh, <laughs> but uh but i didn't i I, I was still Terminally unique. I, I was doing it my way, and uh, and I don't I don't think I realized it until as also is common about five months, quote unquote sober, and and you know I, I was without alcohol and drugs and I was without a solution, and and that's when uh, I was picking up white chips and I, and I'd started uh, I'd started back up. And, you know, I was lying. And, and that's even worse. Because once you've got a, a little bit of recovery and you're going to meetings, and you're doomed. Because it's just too much of a contradiction. And so I, uh, you know, I, I I completely imploded. I had a mental breakdown. And um, remember, <laughs> I've told this part about my story, but I, I was going to go to Utah. Uh, I had... Uh, I had somebody out there that was gonna hire me, and I just the hell with my family, the hell with this my job. I'm just out of here, and uh, and I made it almost to Buckhead. Quite a ways, really, And, and I remember just. I just lost it. I called my wife bawling, and I didn't tell them that I'd left, and, and I'd broken into her office, you know, her corporate office, because I knew that she'd taken some of my medications down there. I mean, it was out of my freaking mind. And that's what happens when, when, at least for me, without this solution and without my other solution, I was, I was a dead man. Now, I was completely nuts. And so I, I went, I, I told my wife I'd meet her at Ridgeview and I, in the parking lot. I took every single pill that I had and overdosed, and I cut my wrists, and, uh, and I, I thank God I was right next to the hospital. And, uh, and so I went, went in on suicide watch, and that's glamorous. <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay, well, you know, this is working for me. You know, my thinking has gotten me here. That's not... It's not what we think should happen. And um, and I remember, you know, you wake up from uh, several days later and I'm sitting on a mattress with nothing because you know, they take everything away. It's this sort of like burlap bag thing. And there's this mm-hmm. big black guy in a metal chair because it, their job is to sit and watch you so you don't hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. So I look up and, hi. <laughs> hi. Uh, you know, it, that's just, it's awful. And so... Uh, <clears throat> so uh, I went into a long-term recovery program, and again I fought it. I was going to do it my way one more time, and thank God I found a sponsor who knew me cold, and, and he called me out, and, and I finally, you know, you're in in recovery you're supposed to write your story and tell your. Your roommates and all that kind of stuff, and yet again, I, I'm just, I'm s- just stupid. I'm like, well, these guys are. Some of these guys have like prison records and they were drug dealers and they really gla- glamorous stories to me. And I'm like, well, I want to have the best story, so I made one up. I <laughs> <laughs> am just like, what the hell? I, well, you know, I want to kind of be a badass, so I'm going to make up a better story. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's ridiculous. <laughs> And, and, you know, so I had made the mistake of telling my sponsor a little bit of my background, and, and he heard about this, and he's like, really, Carl? <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> like prison and, you know, working in a corporations, so those mix. I, I was in prison for a while. <laughs> so, yes, so it just, it didn't, it was... I, I finally just Kate, uh, you know, he asked me, How is this working for you? Do you like your life? And and, and I, I didn't. I didn't like who I was and it was just time to stop. So I surrendered. It it was a huge relief. And um and I listened to my sponsor and I hate that rat bastard and I love him <laughs> because he he knew me. He knew me and he knew me. And so I, I couldn't get away with anything. For the first time in my life, I'd surrendered, and I'd committed to listen because I knew I was dead if I did not figure this out. I finally accepted that this – and for a while, death was okay. But I, I didn't want to die. I was too much of a chicken shit to do that. I, I, I just – I was too, too scared to kill myself and, uh, and didn't want to go back out drinking. I just didn't want to go down that way. And so I figured, why not? Well, I'll try it. I'll try it your way. And so I did. And um, But he made, he forced me to go through the steps. He made me go through willingness. I was on step one for four months. Because I was not willing. I was not ready. And thank God he held me to it. But then it then it clicked. I finally accepted. I, I, I was willing to go to any length to get the solution. And, and I, it, it, I remember... Um, it just started to help out. I'd always kind of been... Uh, I went and you know, I had the church upbringing and that kind of stuff, but I used to ridicule religion. Um, and it, it took me a while to separate God, religion, and spirituality. And uh, But I, I'd always hunted and fished growing up in, in New England, and I loved that. I, you know, It was something that truly was a, a joy to me. And so I, I was able finally to have permission in this program about picking your own higher power where I could connect the two. And so it, it allowed me a path to find a, a spiritual connection. And truly, that is the the most powerful thing in the world. It has to be for me. Writing the job description for my higher power, you know my boss, uh, my boss, my sponsor, <laughs> it's basically the same thing. It's like write, write this write the description for your higher power. Uh, few, few, few criteria, they have to be more big, out bigger than you, and so I did, and you know I spent hours trying to come up with the right writing, and he didn't even freaking look at it. He so said, "I don't care as long as you've got one. No, and and then he took me out in the park, and at that point, I still you know out of all of my horrid behavior i mean there there 's lots of rotten stories uh, about my behavior but um, you know so i 'm like self conscious now we 're out in the park because we 're going to pray, and i don 't want to get and, you know, someone might see me <laughs> might be seen on my knees praying, oh my gosh, how embarrassing uh you know i'm like peeing out in public in a bar on the table <laughs> that 's okay, um, but this oh no don 't get caught on my hands and knees saying a prayer but
1: <laughs>
0: the the third step prayer staring staring with uh, with holding uh, you know also just learning to have relationships with people uh, uh it was with men and, and it was very different for me and so Actually, holding his hand, looking him in the eye, and and going through and saying the third step prayer together is still probably the most moving experience I've ever had. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. I and mean, if I start to cry, it would be now, um, because it's it, it it was the the point where I finally knew it was going to be okay that I actually could live and find a path in life, and and so. Um, my fourth step, again, laser Eye sponsor, uh, was pretty critical of my fourth step. He'd write it up, and of course I wrote it up. He said, okay, now write the truth. Oh. <laughs> but this is so much better. <laughs> he, he just had me cold. And so the fourth and fifth step, I, I didn't really um, I didn't get that massive lift right away that some people talk about, but a, a month later I did. Because it, I putting it in writing it was kinda odd, the things that I, I the stories and the things that I was holding out in life to justify why I deserved to drink and why I needed an escape. All those things, those little snippets in our life that we carry around in our head, that that we just play back over and over again, or at least I do, and it reminds me, this is why I need to drink. Um and just looking at them on paper, I wasn't as good of a person as I thought I was, and I wasn't as bad of a person. And, I, and as, as my sponsor's supposed to do, he pointed out patterns to me. And in uh, six and seven, uh, went, I work a lot more on those now, but in early sobriety, you know, we kind of went through them, but uh, at that time, I wasn't really ready. For the the depth of that process the, the true understanding of humility and that will be a long road I hope I never figured those out um, then the amends process and again I didn't I didn't have a huge list of uh, of amends my I, my sponsor was of the the mindset that amends is really of uh, of the school of thought that it, it's not everyone that you might have wronged in life, or any girlfriend that you might have spurned, or anything like that. It, the amends process was the result of an inventory. It used to be fundamentally that people had bar tabs that they'd run up and that type of thing, and the idea is to just settle your accounts. And it's going to be a valid harm that you can repair. When people, it's interesting because I, I, when I first was in in rehab the first time around, I went from, I have a problem, I'm going to get better to going to all the people that I thought I heard, I'm sorry. That was my amends process. And that worked really well. Because uh, <laughs> I'd never said I, I'm sorry to them before. And I'd never said, oh, I promise this time it will be different. Like they were going to believe that. I think I think the most moving amends that I had it, was with, um, with my uncle that had passed away. He was uh, terminal cancer when I was at the peak of my my little circus. And... And uh, uh, he was really close to our family. He'd lived with us for a while, and every Sunday dinner, holidays, we were really, he was kind of my, my second dad. And, uh, and he was dying, and all I cared about was the drugs that he had in his cabinet. And uh, I made sure that I was the first person that, that my aunt called so that I could go over there. And the first thing I did when when she was upstairs was was i said well i 'll throw all this stuff out and I put it in the trunk of my car, and I felt like it was christmas mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that 's disgusting and uh, so that that 's a painful part of of my story and so in my amends, he passed away obviously and and uh, and so i I started visiting his gravesite and I I wrote a letter and then uh, I remember looking down at. to me I feel like we get a lot of encouragement if I actually slow down and open my eyes uh, I can tell when I'm in my higher powers will versus my own because there's less chaos and also that there's some type of kind of talk about god shots or these coincidences or whatever. To me, they're just, I rely, I, I just, its I'm not even surprised by them anymore. It, we become, we start to rely on it. It's true. It just happens. It's, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, oh, thanks. You know, it, to me, it's like there's a breadcrumb or something that says I'm on the right trail. And I remember just glancing at, because I had no idea when he died. I didn't know anything. Look looked down at the date, and it was my sobriety date. Mm-hmm. And it's like creepy, <laughs> back of the air, in the back of my head. But it was just, it was thank God. And I, that, uh, I was in long-term recovery. I needed, I, I basically it took me over a year in halfway houses and three-quarter houses and, and everything else um, to recover. But today, so what's it like today? Um, it's a lot better. Uh, I've gone through a divorce. Uh, I've gone through um, in re and uh. In sobriety, and uh, you know at the time it looked like I was going to lose my my daughter's It was an ugly divorce, um, but i I kind of just I, I did it what I thought with my sponsor, and we closely went through this, and I just did it in in the accord to this program, which is counterintuitive to what your lawyer says to do <laughs> by the yeah. way, just just in case yes.
1: and, and quite
0: frankly, I was getting my ass kicked right because if you're honest and and all that sort of stuff it's ugly and uh and so i was down to like maybe visitation uh, uh supervised visitation you know because i'd had enough wreckage in the past that it was pretty easy just to, to, for that to be the case i remember praying for clarity and for the opportunity to be a better father and i've learned about prayer be very careful be very careful um because they come true, <laughs> and through a, a combination of circumstances, my wife had had enough of, of my daughters, and and she dropped them off with their things and said they're not welcome in my house anymore, just before the ruling was going to come down. And so suddenly, uh, I was thinking maybe you know every other weekend or something. But, but whoa! <laughs> uh, I, I didn't really want that. <laughs> uh, and so. So I have, full, you know, full custody of my my daughters, and that's a living amends. That that is truly, you know, when I think about service work, I see it every day. I wake up and it's like, so I'm in a season of life. I need to, you know, I, I'm kind of a sponsor. I raise these kids now. I, I've remarried, and and she has three kids as well. So you know, and she has sole custody. So we got five of them. <laughs> And we're insane but it's a huge responsibility and it is a massive blessing because it's an opportunity for me to be a decent father and it's an amends and so for me this is what I think of as part of, part of service work when you look at what it says is to be of service the seven step prayer is to uh, take away my difficulties not for me so that my dog comes back and I get my job back and my life is better that's not what it's for it's so that I can be of service to you and to others. And so that can take many forms. It can be normies. I married a normie. And and not only that, but she's brutally honest. And thank God. So I, I get crisp reminders every single day. Uh, and so it's built in humility. That's awesome. And it's annoying, but it's it's perfect. Because I need that. Um and so uh, that 's been a blessing it 's been an opportunity. I have had the opportunity to pursue my career, but i don 't confuse the the difference between uh, my life working well today and this program. They're not you know for a long time, I thought that one meant that all the, it had to, something good had to happen, and that 's what was supposed to happen. That is not the case. Life dishes out the same crap it always has. And the difference is perspective. This is a disease of perspective. So I could look at my current job at my current boss and my current wife and my current kids and say, you know what? I need to drink because they do this and he does that and they do this and and because of that. Or because of this program, I can just be grateful as hell that I have it. That I have an opportunity to live and that I was a dead person literally and figuratively and spiritually. And so I live now, and I'm grateful for it, and it's changed my perspective. So I, uh, I, just in a couple minutes, I think uh, something I like to kind of reflect on is I, I need to live this program every day. And uh, when I was drinking and using excessively, my morning would, would start with Usually I'd wake up with the sweats and a migraine headache and in total fear. And my first thoughts were, do I have enough for today? (coughs) Do I have enough? Whatever. Drugs, alcohol, the things that I needed, or how am I going to make sure I have enough? So that I could stay using and drinking. You know, stop by and get more vodka. Check. Step one. Call somebody to get some other things. Check. You know, call a doctor and get another prescription. Check. You know that that was my day, and it was basically focused on, on, on getting what I needed so I could just get through my day. Um, and it was horrible. But I, I think now I have two two possible days that, that can start for me. Uh, the first one is is the one without this program, and I wake up and and it's it's the you know it's the the peanut gallery. I'm still nuts. And I still desperately need this program. I wake up and it's just like, you're fat, you suck, you ate too much last night. You, you know, and, and that, that's, that's how it starts. You know, it's like the little ticker underneath. It's, you know, the crap that you did the day before. All of that stuff just starts rolling. And, you know, my day immediately takes a sharp left-hand turn. Uh, and you know and I'm still fat, and then it plays over again and over again, and I'm just sitting there. And then the circus music starts up, and it—it's just—it's awful. I mean, that's literally what is in store for me every single morning if I don't have this program. And and uh, my sponsor's helping me with this. Is he's like, well, this, and kind of he he really appreciates this perspective. And he's like, well, if you wake up. And start thinking about your higher power and your connection. Try and connect sooner and sooner so that it is absolutely the very first thing. Don't even give yourself a minute. Two minutes, five minutes, and I'm really screwed. My day is completely south. But uh, give yourself a few minutes. Or, or And you're in trouble, but don't give yourself that time and just get it done. And so the third way and the way that uh, we're, it's described in... In in the big book is is we wake up in the morning, and we we start with our you know for, we start with our prayers, and that's how I, I do that. I, as soon as I possibly can, I connect and I roll down on the floor and I hit my knees. I don't know why it matters, but it matters to me. To this alcoholic, I need to be on my knees, and I start my I start with the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, and then the St. Francis prayer. And you know what? Then my day is a lot different. We consider our plans. We pause when agitated. You know, you hear these things. It's like, you're <laughs> right, I don't always do that. I wish I did. But it's there. The path of right living is in this program. This big book is the solution, not a solution, the solution that will help me recover from a deadly disease. I've buried too many friends. and I'm sure many of you in this room have as well. And so this is a way for me, it provides me a way with living now that's different. It's not, uh, you know, I'm still here. The, the, the circus is always in town and it's there at a split second away. But this program is, is here and if I follow it and if I don't chase after, directly after things, but just focus on how do I have a better relationship with my higher power? How do I work with others? How do I participate in this program, go to meetings, talk to my sponsor, help other men in sobriety, be of service? I go through the steps. I'm on step eight with my sponsor. I'll always be going through the steps. And I go through them with sponsees when I've got them active and they don't run off or <laughs> kill themselves or whatever. Uh, but I have a perfect track record with sponsees because I'm sober today. and And that's what sponsoring at least was taught to me is what that's for because I I can't put my life like at the beginning of my story I can't place my self worth in somebody else's hands it is absolutely an inside job and so today um, what it's like is is it's a wonderful experience I'm grateful to this program I uh, I'm allowed to do things now that uh, I just I can't believe where I am. I've I just sort of picked up my toes and just went drifting down the river and said, just whatever whatever you want me to do. And I find myself in the oddest situations. I'm like, when I first came out into recovery, what I thought I, I needed and what I thought I would have liked isn't even close. And so I have, uh, I'm doing things and I'm in a life that I never ever would have imagined. And I love it, I, I really do. So, um, so that's my story. Wow.